Welcome to The Blab Lab, a twice-monthly podcast from the reporters of EcoRI News, where we unpack the critical environmental issues facing Southern Queensland. I'm reporter Colleen Cronin, and today we're doing something a little bit different. Our publisher, Joe Detz, is on to ask him some questions about some reporting I've been doing on Earth Day. When we talked about doing an Earth Day episode last month, we talked about how commercialized the holiday has become since it was started in the 1970s. So I just wanted to reach out to folks who've organized early Earth Day events in Rhode Island to ask them about how they've seen a change over time. So, Jill. Hey. Did you read my story? I did. It was my first time reading you raw, too. We have not gone through spell check yet. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. We're all human. I spelled Warwick wrong the other week. so I have to always check Blairville. Yes. Two R's. I don't know how many L's. Anywho. And, like, wishing there was, like, we all had accents that rolled the R, because then it would be a really fun word to say. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Oh. Um, so, yeah. So, what did you what did you think of the story? Yeah, so I thought it was a really fascinating way to approach Earth Day, a, a story about Earth Day, by talking to some of the original Earth Day celebration mm-hmm. attendees, some of the old timers, older than our friend Frank Carini, <laughs> senior columnist. He is in the studio right now and wearing a Miracle on Ice <laughs> hockey sweatshirt and shaking his head. Um, yeah, so tell me a little bit about... Um, this Will Collette that you talked to, you lead the story with um, some of his anecdotes, and he sounds like a colorful guy. What did he have to say? He was super interesting. So first of all, just the way that I found Will Collette was, I mean, I've, I've read the Charlestown Progressive blog before, but I, I didn't realize that he was one of the people behind it. But I was just thinking about how like some of the OG organizers might feel about some of the greenwashing that happened. So I thought to myself, okay, OG organizers, how do I find them? So I googled first Earth Day Rhode Island <laughs> and his blog came up, post a very fiery blog post about um, how he felt about what Earth Day has turned into. Um, and so I I know a couple of people in Charlestown, I got his number, I called him up. Well, um, back in nineteen seventy things were pretty crazy. I was in between going to junior college and about ready to start at Rhode Island College. I had been very active in uh, the anti-war movement. And frankly, I was looking for something that was a little bit more gentle and also a bit less dangerous. I mean, I had a friend who was being looked for by the Providence police for setting off a bomb that, you know, blew up the uh, the statue of General Burnside in Burnside Park. It was crazy time. And he said that a lot of people who were kind of coming up around the same time as him, you know, progressive people who wanted to be involved but maybe wanted to do something that was a little gentler. Um, so he got involved in some of the early Earth Day organizing. He um, was involved with um, Ecology Action. And he was actually on the propaganda committee. Um, and the way he describes the first Earth Day is also funny, and I think with a lot of retrospect. First Earth Day was that kind of a mix. A lot of people turning out, about a third of them pre-stoned, you know, having a good time, celebrating, good fellowship, and, you know, applauding everybody who stood up and said something, no matter how stupid or useless. 
But funnily enough, like a couple months after this happened, the group that he was in had a pretty big disagreement about the um, the policies that they wanted to, to focus on. Um, part of the group wanted to focus on big polluters in Narragansett Bay who were just dumping stuff in, into the water. And the other half of the group wanted to try to um, require that uh, like pleasure boats have holding tanks, which is also very important, but one is bigger than the other, and so in Will's opinion, he really felt like they should be going after the big fish. I gave a, a short speech basically saying I'd like to clarify the choice we're looking at. One is to go after corporate criminals who are you know, shortening everybody's life as opposed to um, putting all of our efforts into keeping people from pissing in the bay, and uh, we lost. Um, and he, I used some colorful language to describe, <laughs> but he, you know, he just said, Fuck it, I don't need this in my life. Um, this is not going anywhere. So he did a couple other things after that, a couple other organizing things, um, but then he ended up getting involved with um, Louise Gibbs, who is at the Center for Health, Environment, and Justice. Louise Gibbs was really famous for organizing around Love Canal. There was an area near Niagara Falls where um, she found out basically that there was tons and tons of toxic waste dumped in her backyard basically. Um, so she was really heavily involved in organizing in, in that specific area in her where she was living, but then also um, she started this organization which then helped people around the country who had gone through similar things. So Will had a lot of really, some really sad stories about the things that he saw going to you know, a factory, a former factory site in Puerto Rico where they made thermometers and the children had gotten mercury poisoning and just the horrible, horrible way that that disfigured the children and, and trying to help them. For someone who saw all that, I think he just really, he said, I like a big, I like big fish. I like to go after these big things because I think he saw a lot of, um, a lot of tough stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, but a funny story <laughs> about some of his battles, um, he um, was fighting a waste management dump site, a proposed dump site near a river um, down south, and he started getting kind of into a little bit of a, a, a fight with some people who'd shown up to the meeting. There were a bunch of guys, white guys, all along the back of the, of the, uh, the auditorium, and, you know, with their arms crossed and you know, tattoos and shit. They started heckling, and I kept hollering back at him. I says, I think, you know, is this guy paying you enough? Is Mr. Waste Management paying you enough to put your families in danger? And, ah, shut up. You're, you're a dead man walking. You know, the, the women leadership of the local group uh, told me when I sat down that that was the local clan. I think another interesting point is, you know, he he was getting into this business because it was supposed to be gentler than the anti-war movement. But I mean, I would argue that almost any activism happening in that time was, um, you know, a bit more militant, more extreme, more radical. And and the people I talked to were saying, well, it was a crazy time. Like the the river in Providence, for example, you always knew what color what colors were in fashion that season because the river would end up being that color from all the dyes and the factories on the river. So, um, like it was a crazy time, which required some crazy things to happen. So he, you know, doesn't really love Earth Day. Would it be fair to say that? So the first Earth Day was in 1970, right? Would it be fair to say that? the environmental movement grew out of that? I mean, I think 
for at least the people that I spoke to, yes. Maybe a, a way that I see it, for at least for Will, was that it grew out of um, a feeling that something had to be done about a lot of different things, and that was what he... Ch- it, it, was, it was the time rather than the event. Mm-hmm. I think the event was a product of the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it seems like... So, you know, he... He was involved nationally in a lot of things, so he was outside of Rhode Island. And then it seems like in the 1990s, there was a bit of a resurgence um, of Earth Day here and in a lot of other places because you were getting the 20 and the 25th anniversaries. Can you talk a little bit about the 90s? As a child of the 90s, (laughs) I was a little bit dismayed to read about what happened at Goddard Park. (laughs) Yeah, so um, I'm also technically a child of the 90s. Wait. I was born in 1998. Clinton was president. Okay, you were a real child. I was, I guess, coming of age. <laughs> Let me rephrase. Um, the 90s were, uh, so it was the 20th and 25th anniversaries. Um, the state decided, well, some people in the state decided to form um, an Earth Day committee to celebrate some of these things. Um, and I talked to Terry Bison, who was um, who worked at DM for 37 years, 15 of which she spent doing a lot of this Earth Day organizing. We were basically pulling together um, sort of small um, environmental kind of fairs where, you know, we would invite environmental organizations to come and to talk about what they promoted and talk about their activities and teach people about different aspects of environmental protection and so forth. But then what happened was we sort of had this epiphany where we felt like we were preaching to the choir because a lot of them were attended by people who were already active in environmental issues. With the Earth Day Committee, we decided that we really needed to kind of bump things up and really broaden the the public engagement and public outreach. And one of those bigger things was doing concerts. So then that involves Jim Corwin, who's now with the RI Schools Recycling Club. But back in the day, you know, he was the general manager of a rock and roll radio station. Um, And so he brought in a lot of the talents, like um, the Marshall Tucker Band, for example. They were doing these concerts to try to bring in people who maybe wouldn't usually engage with the environment because they were worried that you know that's the point of birthdays to try to bring awareness to it there were so many people coming out to it they had to shut the exit down on the highway it caused problems on 95 i think a long story short we had ten thousand people come to goddard state park i may be exaggerating there but there was way too many people um the concert went off you know and people had a great time and at the end of it the park was trashed on Earth Day. On Earth Day. And so they decided, hey, you know, maybe, although we got a lot of awareness out about this, we should try doing some other things. So um, when they shifted to doing those events inside, um, Terry said they did a lot of events at the Warwick Mall, which was good, too, because you were, again, catching people who didn't necessarily know that much about Earth Day. And, you know, back in the 90s when this was happening, recycling and composting and sort of the individual things that you could do to try to help the environment you know, they weren't as mainstream as they are now. And so bringing people to the table was a huge part of, of Earth Day for, for these organizers. I also talked to Eugenia Marks, um, who worked for the Audubon Society for a while and was on the Earth Day Committee. And she was saying that she really thinks it's a success, at least, especially what they did in the 90s, because people really were more aware, she said, of like the physical litter and the... the um, like the invisible stuff, like the chemicals that you can't see that are around you. Um, But she said, you know, it's still a battle that has to be fought. I wonder, though, 
I mean, looking at the trajectory of Earth Day and thinking about some of the frustrations that somebody like Will Collette has with where Earth Day is today, um, if that's just how, how movements work, they start out as a, a radical idea and then in an effort to bring in more people, they get a little more generic, they kind of lose touch of the original mission and yes, they do bring in more people, but then there's opportunity for corporate greenwashing. I'm wondering what you think about that. Yeah, that's interesting. I, I have two thoughts. I think the first on just the sort of progression of movements um, I think, yeah, I mean, because when he was starting out, to, to a great degree, it wasn't as much about the feel-good part of Earth Day. It was truly, you know, things are on fire, like rivers are on fire. And Terry and Eugenia, who, you know, they started doing organizing in the 90s, but they were around in some of these earlier times. The way that we're starting to see climate change impact our everyday lives today, that was very much how... Um, these environmental hazards were impacting people's lives back then and still do in, in, in certain neighborhoods like near Allen's Avenue in South Providence. And so it was just glaringly obvious that things needed to get done. And I think that then as you, like you said, you bring more people in or, you know, maybe the problem seems like it's not as bad, then some of it is about, well, how do you make people feel good about this? Um, and I think that you know, he dis was talking about how in Charlestown they'll do cleanups, and I don't think he has anything against cleanups. I think he might have a problem making litter such a big issue when he feels like there's more important issues out there. Sometimes they'll do these cleanups in pretty wealthy, affluent neighborhoods in Charlestown, and, you know, that's not the purpose of Earth Day to him. I mean, in Charlestown, it's, it, it generally amounts to going down by the, uh, the shoreline and cleaning up the roads and the and the properties of absentee uh, landowners. You want people to volunteer to go and clean up rich people's backyards? Really? Is that what you want? So, as a our resident young person, <laughs> the only staff member under thirty. Can I say your age? Yes. You're twenty four. <laughs> what do you think about Earth Day? You know, when I first like heard of Earth Day, I was probably like five or six or seven. I was like in elementary school. This was the early 2000s. I had light up sneakers. And I remember like for Earth Day, like we gardened outside. Like I, I wasn't, it was, I thought it was a day about being outside. I didn't understand. First of all, I didn't know what climate change was. I think when I was in the early 2000s, even when I was in elementary school, um, I don't think that that was a discussion in school as much. I think mm -hmm. I certainly got more of the recycling lessons, the composting lessons. And, and the discussion about climate change once I was in middle school. So I think my relationship used to be, um, like, it, rather, if I probably will not be happy about this, but rather than a day, being a day about, you know, um, making a difference for the earth, it was more a day to me about, like, appreciating the earth. And I think for me now, I don't, I mean, partly probably because I work for an environmental news organization, but I think about the environment so much every day. Um, and I have I have since before I worked for EcoRI, just been thinking so much about, well, we have to do something, this is an emergency, that it, Earth Day in some ways, it's not something I, I think about because it's I think about the environment all the time. Well, it's kind of that old cliche, like every day should be Earth Day. Yeah. We're, I mean, hey, we're, like, feel like superstars during Earth Day. We are. We are. Every day. Not just Earth Day. <laughs>
What is your relationship to Earth Day? I think I, I can sympathize with a lot of what uh, Will told you. I, I do think it's become a hallmark holiday, if you will. And it, while it's nice to see groups going out and picking up litter, and that does build awareness, part of me thinks, why are we still picking up litter if Earth Day you know, is, is it working? Maybe it's not working. Maybe we need to do a little bit more. And, um, you know, to Will's point, there are bigger, going after the bigger corporations is also part of it and holding them to account and exposing polluters. So I guess that's kind of what we're doing at Nicola News. Yeah. Hopefully. We're trying. <laughs> we're trying. This has been the Black Lab, Ecorize Environmental News Podcast. We want to thank Roger Williams University and Professor Bernardo Moda for letting us use the podcast studio here. We also want to thank Vanessa Carlton, whose song Willow you hear at the beginning and the end of this podcast. If you guys have any questions or if this episode sparked any ideas for future stories or future episodes, please feel free to email me at Colleen, C-O-L-L-E-E-N, at EcoRI.org. Until next time, you can read us at EcoRI.org. want people to volunteer to go and clean up rich people's backyards? Really? Is that what you want?